The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Over the last, this last week has just been a, it's been a long week for us, but, um, and yesterday was a long day, and even, even the last class uh, that I taught was really not even teaching, it was more of a preaching, uh, it really it was applying God's Word to all of life when it comes to, uh, we talk about crises and natural disasters, uh, the Christian's response to crises and natural disasters. And one of the things that we talked about was just simply, I mean, what it means to be biblically prepared for these things. As Christians, what is our response or our responsibility? You know, uh, I think every one of us could say in some way we were caught off, caught off guard or caught unprepared, but there's a biblical response of preparedness. And I have no problem saying that us, we talked about one of the tithes that was even included, one of the tithes that, that we're commanded to give was the poor tithe. And setting that, that was a, a poor tithe was set aside. It was collected, or not even collected, it was used every three years, but you set it up, you can either do another 10% at the end of that time, or that third year you did 10%, or you could do it over the accumulation of those three years of that increase and do it at like 3.33% over three years. Um, but it was set aside for a, a specific purpose, and it was really to look after the, the foreigner, the, the foreigner, the widow, the orphan, the poor. And it was set there for a reason. It was a very public thing. Um, the giver, was it was given publicly and not anonymously, so that, you know, that we talk about how in Malachi 3, how do you rob guys? God is in tithes and offerings. It was one of those things that was very visible that people, there was a pressure to do it, do what you're required, but also it was a pressure on the person, the, the recipients, because it was public, and that means they had to really uh, evaluate their motives while they would receive it. Yes. So it was, a, and so people in the community, it was, it was a very public thing, so people would know if this person truly had need, and they would have to evaluate. So it was not, it was not where, it was not a sense of ongoing welfare. It, it didn't create dependency because it was once every three years. So it was taking care of people. But I was talking about how God did not create the church, the building, the local gathering to be the storehouse. And I had some, some faces at me and I said, no. God uses individuals. He's commanded individuals to do this, not churches to do this, local congregations. However, sometimes the needs are larger, the projects are larger, and sometimes individual Christians can pull the resources and take on more. But I gave this as I said, you know, the local get, the local church can be a place, yes, where you could be a storehouse temporarily for for supplies. It is a, a the, the local church could be the distribution center point for those type of things, or a launch point for relief efforts, or to do those things. But it was not to be an ongoing thing because what happens is when we get to those situations is it creates apathy and complacency in individual Christians where they can hide behind someone else doing the work or another place to have it set up 
and then they don't take care of their, their personal responsibility. And so by doing that, I said one of the things we could do is, it, is always being in a state of being prepared. So I asked, do you have a storehouse? And one of the things is, I said, I'm not asking where your storehouse is. And I had someone just jokingly say, well, yes, I have a pantry. I was like, yeah, that's not the storehouse. And uh, I don't know how big their pantry is, but probably when they say it's a cabinet about this big, it's not enough for them, their family, and a few others. You know? So it was a good way to look at that God has already created a way for us as Christians to set aside the funds and the resources in order to do that. So it was a, it was a way to evaluate it. And one of the things that really, um, that really stood out to me in the midst of that, believe it or not, um, for whatever reason, I, I, I mean, I'm it's not a surprise, but you know, the Lord speaks to me through messages many times that in ways that I never intended for him to speak. Okay, I never knew, never really all that time. And even in the midst of those those messages, this is why I, I find it hard when someone says that the, the Holy Spirit you know, that people don't prophesy anymore. Because I believe that what I do as a form of prophesying is preaching is prophesying, but also that the Holy Spirit moves in many ways to say things I never would have thought uh, thought to say, but also He moves in me in ways that I never expected in that message to hear. And as I'm teaching, this is the message that I heard. And it really became something that I, I saw within the people that were there and what I'm hearing from them is... They're completely, they they're completely uh, ill prepared and inadequate, and it is not because of choices necessarily that they have made, but I believe it's because of the leaders that are over them have not set them free to do things. And so, this this is one of those type of things that and I'm going to try to apply it the best. I'm just saying this. This is this has been on my mind. Very short about of time. So this is this morning writing down what God is just really was sharing with me. And so uh, if you want to turn your Bibles, it, if you have a place of reference, it'll come up on the screen. But 1 Corinthians 3 is pretty much the entire chapter. is a place for you to look at as the whole and to walk through this today. Because there's a lot here. And I'm just going to kind of give you an overview. And I encourage you to go back through and read 1 Corinthians 3 this week. Um. Well, I, I, start, I just kind of something you know. I remember back. I, I titled this thing called "called Following the Leader." And of course, I have the little song from Peter Pan that goes to my head, "Following the Leader." But uh, that, the, but you know what? Even more than that, a lot. Of, I have more when someone says "Following the Leader." I have more thoughts about this. Like I remember, I went to public school, and so I remember back in elementary school, they'd line us up. And the teacher would tell us to be quiet. And then we would follow the leader. There was a leader for that day. And you didn't go in front of them. You didn't go around them. You stayed in a straight line. You know, and now in my adulthood, they even had lines on the ground for us to walk on. Remind me, just like a prison. They have the same ones in jails and prisons where everybody's supposed to walk and where you're not. I never realized that until later on. But we were taught to follow someone, and eventually... What would happen is we'd get lulled into this uh, day into daydreaming because it's monotonous. Because usually the person who was the leader was not the fastest person in the class, 
and they were probably daydreaming themselves, and you never know how long it's going to take you to get one place to the other. And so I remember, did you get that? Next thing you know, you're either running into a pole. You're, I, I know somebody who knows about a little bit about that over here. Um, you run into poles, doors, or you uh, run into the people in front of you because they stopped and you didn't notice it kind of thing. I just remember. But I, I thought about thinking about this. That, oh, well, I thought about thinking I thought about this. How we follow, and this is the first point, how we follow is, is just as important as who we follow. And this is the this is this is the crux of some of the uh, conversations and debate that I get into is people spend more time on who we're to follow than we do on how we are to follow. And then there's others that spend more time on how we follow than who we follow. And it's just they get it mixed up, and sometimes they just get both of those mixed up completely of what the personal responsibility is in this. And so I'm going to kind of reverse this a little bit, and I'm going to ask, well, who are you following first? Because I'm going to, I'm going to take the Scripture. Who are you following? Who? I mean, it, it's, it's one of those questions that needs to be asked, because in this passage of Scripture, it was... It was becoming a detrimental thing to some people because it was Paul's gospel or Apollos' gospel. Really, is what it came down to is they start they started getting divided. Some followed Christ, some followed Paul. Some followed, well, let's look at what it says in First Corinthians three verses one through nine. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh. For there is je- while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not beer- being merely human or being merely in the flesh? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Listen to this. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. He goes and he emphasizes and he says, Who are you following? You some of you say I follow Paul, I Paul and some say Apollos. But he wants to he wants to make sure that they understand that these are mere servants. They're, in fact, I won't even say just mere servants. He said, What are Paul and Apollos? They are nothing. One is not greater than the other. Who came first? Paul or Apollos? Don't even go there. <laughs> Who, who, when we talked about the emphasis there, what was he saying? Neither of us are anything. We are what? He said, we are fellow workers. We're God's fellow workers. And I want to be, I want to emphasize this to you as a church because all too often you hear something like this, well, is it following this pastor or this preacher or this evangelist or this thing? No, what I need you to understand that when we come into this place as a priesthood of all believers, we come in as fellow workers. Amen. 
So you might not everybody might stand up and not give a, a, a give a sermon or a talk or anything like that. But we are all fellow workers, and what Paul was saying is, it doesn't matter who it is. I I might have planted, and Apollos watered came along and watered that, but. It wouldn't matter if we, if, how much I plant and how much He waters. It's God who gives the growth. God is the one who fertilizes. He gives the sun. He maintains it. He does all the things necessary. He's the one who created it all to grow. Amen. Philippians 1.18 Paul went on to say, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ this will turn out for my deliverance, as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not all be ashamed but that with full coverage, uh, sorry, courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And then this is my, this has been a kind of one of my theme passages in life. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am going to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. He looked at it as my life and my death are both in Christ. To live or to die, it, either way, it's in Christ. And, and, and the, if I am to live, it is to be fruitful labor. And that's what it's about. It's not about how much growth that I create. It's about that I have a laborsome time. God has given me a fruitful labor to accomplish. So who you are following? Who are you following? I'm going to tell you again, so for you to understand who you're following, you need to... Sometimes go to the how you're following. So the second part is how are you following? And this is important because Paul lays out. You know, Paul Paul always called himself the least of the apostles. Like why? Because he persecuted the church. He was the last and the least. Yet the majority of Scripture was written by him. That God gave him and used him mightily for his kingdom. How are you following this number two? First, in verses 10 through 17 of the theme passage, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Okay, let's just stop there. He's, who is he talking about who's building upon that foundation? Is Apollos, right? That's what he's talking about. Apollos is building upon a foundation. Well, listen carefully. This I'll get to it. It's, it this, even for me, just stands out amazingly. He said, let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, visible on the day, day of judgment will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire that he flames. Don't you know that you're God's temple, and God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that to- that temple. Now, here, here I'm going to, this whole little passage here. There's an interesting play on words that Paul uses, and Paul says he laid a foundation, and on his foundation, someone else is building on it. It almost sounds like he's taking credit for everything and saying that there is no other foundation, and then he drops this bomb in the middle of it. 
He says the only foundation is Jesus Christ. Not Paul's foundation. What he's saying, my foundation that I laid is the very one laid for me. And now someone else is building on that. And he said, just be careful how you build upon it. See, Jesus is the foundation from the cornerstone to the capstone. He is all there is. And, and, and so who, are you, who you are following determines how you are following. Because if someone's following Paul, guess what they're going to do? They're going to be very disappointed because Paul's going to fall short of not only God and his, his expectation, but definitely he's going to fall short of the expectation of other people. I mean, many people were afraid because Paul was a persecutor of the church. They weren't sure when he came to town. Apollos, some people never heard of him. Okay? But here he is laying, he says, who, who you are following determines how you're following. And our identity is found in the foundation. Amen. Your identity is found in the foundation. Because I had the question asked to me yesterday by somebody. So, what are you? And I said, I'm human. <laughs> no, you're like Baptist or Pentecostal or... What are you? And I said, I'm a biblical Christian. Well, of course, but what kind of biblical Christian? The one that trusts God's Word? I said, you want me to define by what I'm not? I said, I'm not this. And I'm not that which is down the street. I believe God's Word and I trust God's Word, and I teach God's Word, and as a Christian, that's what we're doing. I apply it. So today, that's what we're going to do. I just assumed that you would be, you, you, you said you're a pastor, you got to be a pastor of some kind. I said, okay, you want to hear it? We have no denomination, but non-denomination is a, non, is a denomination. So we're not that. But, our identity is not found in a denomination. So the guy, this guy goes, well, who gives oversight to you? I said, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that could strike me dead at any moment. Yeah. And he's like, huh? Yeah. Okay. He said, well, you don't have like an association? You're Baptist, y'all don't have, you have an association. They don't give you oversight. You know that. And we're not Presbyterian in the sense that we have of people who can be corrupted who cannot, will not give proper oversight or, or if there's abuses they don't take care of it always so we don't need that he said well what do you do I said well I'm held accountable by all the, the, the believers that join me and I'm held accountable by my brothers and sisters of Christ abroad that, that know who I am and they can call me out and they can do whatever they want if they want to disassociate with me they can if I'm wrong they can call me to repentance it's easy very hard for people to look at things and understand that aspect. Our identity is found in the foundation that has been or is being laid, and that is Jesus Christ. And for this, we must give an account to God. That's why Hebrews 4.12-14 tells us, The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, 
For all are, laid, are naked and exposed, laid bare to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Folks, there is nothing that we have done or we will do that will be a surprise to God when we stand before Him one day. He's not going to go, huh, why? Let me see, I'm reading it. Oh, I never knew this happened. Wow, it escaped my memory. No. The Lord might... The Lord forgives our sin as far as the east is from the west, but our God is a God who remembers. He doesn't forget. And we have to give an account still for sin. Doesn't mean we're our sin is held against us. It's just we have to give an account. Why? Because if you have been bought at a price and you have been set free, why did you go back to that yoke of slavery to that sin? Why did you do this? It's an account. It means the, the sin has been settled, but the account before Him, giving our word. And I know every one of us is going to be without excuse. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what the conviction point to this day is. When I sin against God, when we do these things, when we fall short of His glory, it ought to be more than... Oh, goodness, I hope I hope the Lord's not upset with me. You know, it would be a conviction point for us. Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. Thirdly, it's not only who you're following and how you're following, but what impact are you, and I intentionally put this, are you making for the kingdom of God? What impact are you making for the kingdom of God? Now, I'm not saying that everybody needs to go give up their jobs and become, you know, become missionaries to some place. That's not what we're talking about. It's about what impact are you making? Because if you know who you're following and how you're following to follow, that means there's a responsibility for application, for impact. First Corinthians, our theme passage, verses 18 through 20, he says, Let no one deceive you. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For, this, for the wisdom of this world is folly to God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are futile. Now, why would that? What does that have to do with impact? Because here's the thing: for us to truly make an impact, it's not trying to find a way and create and invent something for God. It's to surrender and submit to what He's already commanded us to do. That's it. And He's given a very clear layout. It, you know, when we talk about when I talk about. Uh, Protecting your homestead from a biblical point of view. And I said, you know, there's scripture in there. And you see faces go, did he just just discredit? You know, there's something in scripture. Most people don't know this. If someone is breaking into your home at night and it's dark and you don't know if they're they're coming to cause you harm and you were to take their life, you've committed no sin. But if it's daylight and they do the same thing, it is murder. According to God's law. Now, you, now, if they're coming to cause you harm and you protect yourself, that's different. But if they're breaking in during the daytime or they're coming in and you do that and you could have seen them, it means you could have been a witness against them. And secondly, you could warn them. And yet you don't. 
That means you, you know someone's breaking your house and you're lying in wait to murder them. There's the scripture about lying in wait. Okay, so I use something like that and you see everybody go, oh my goodness. I mean, I mean, what about the, we have a law in the state of Texas. I can shoot somebody to protect my neighbor's property. Not, not in broad daylight. No, you might have a law in Texas that allows for you to do it. But you got to stand before a God. And I say, here's the thing. This is when I got the looks. I said, you know, for us who claim to be Christians, also we got to understand that God said murderers won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. And that's the rock the boat moment. What we intend to do now, what we put in our hearts now, is where things come from. What comes out of us. And I want to think about this. What impact are you making for the kingdom of God? James 2 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? No, action. I always say action here. Because can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for their body, what good is it? So faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. But someone says, you have, you, you have faith and I have works, so show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by, basically what, by what I do. It has an impact behind it. It has application always behind it. Whatever we do, we I even remind us, what do we do? We prove we're His disciples by our love for one another. We and, and in one of the great what we talk about, the second greatest command is what? To love your neighbor as yourself. So when we when we want to, it's one thing to have a little catchphrase. That's, and, I, and, I, and I believe this. So many churches say, oh, love God and love people. That's our, that's our motto for the church. It's been one of the mottos for mine in the past. It's not a catchphrase. It requires action. It requires an impact. Where you're at. James 1 tells us to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. The, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, freedom, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I, it's a place that I have to look at because the question is, most people said, you know, they, they give, and we, we and this is why it's it's hard for, for many people to understand. We know that when we talk about, when I've talked about giving and tithing in the church, we talked about the, the social or the Levitical tithe. It went to, it went to, uh, it went to the temple, it went to the priests, the Levites, and then they even tied the tenth of that to the high priest. And so, and this is a shocking because people don't understand that having a working knowledge of the law and like that, they just they just don't know what to think. They've never heard it. And I said, you know, that it never. But today, the the priest didn't oversee a storehouse. The priest didn't oversee. It didn't go to the temple in the sense of a local synagogue. It, it was ten percent given for this purpose. And we when I, when I share this, I said there is no there is no the dedication of the tenth today goes to where? It goes to ministries. It goes to teaching ministries. Things that uh, Education ministries. Things that we use for the glorification and the understanding of God. So when people give, they can give to a church, but it doesn't have to all go to the church. That's hard for preachers to hear. 
But in reality, if, if everyone gave even 10% of the church and you had 100 families, and the average, I'll just say the average median income was 60 grand in a church, and, 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 and yeah, let's just say you had 100 families. If you do that thing, what that measures out, that'd be 600,000. And I don't know how any, per, how any church that the size of this, these churches, how they could ever be complaining for money. But the thing is, is people give that money where they see the impact. And they put that money where there's impact. Why? Because if they are living biblical lives and they're living an impactful life, they're going to put those resources to work. Because guess what? It's not only about the it's not about we're, we're responsible for where we give just as much as we, to the people who are received. And so we ought to. If you're just throwing God's money away, expecting someone to do, so there's impact. We talked about. You have the social Levitical tithe, then you have the rejoicing tithe. And I said, you know, imagine setting aside money uh, 10% annually of your increase, of the increase that you have, 10% of not what you, you're not your status quo, but your increase. And you set that aside and you throw a celebration. Mm-hmm. You invite everybody you know. No, I mean, like, I'm setting aside money to have fun. And it, it's God honoring. I always love to talk about that because when you do that, you're supposed to eat and drink and be merry. So I love that part, especially about the church. But let me ask the last one. The last point today. What holds you back from the impact you're called to make for the kingdom of God? What holds you back from the impact you're called to make for the kingdom of God? Let there be no excuse. This passage of Scripture says very clearly, and this is the part that moves me greatly. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Peter, Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ. There is absolutely nothing in all of creation that holds you back from the impact that you are called by God to make. And let me say this. And there is to be no thing or no person that holds you back from the impact that you are called by God to make. You don't need the permission of a pastor or an elder or a local church to go and do what God has called you, where He has planted you to do those things. I will never be able to do what Henry can do. 
I will never be able to do what you, Zach, and Mary can do. I can never do what in your families, what God has called you to do. He's planted you there. And no person should hold you back from being the impact that God has crowned you to be. And no one else is going to be able to fill your shoes. They might be able to take your job, but they can't fill your shoes and what God has placed you there for that purpose. And who knows? It might not be forever. Kiddos, believe it or not, not too long ago, I was sitting like you in a church about your age. I enjoyed singing and I enjoyed doing all those things, but I'm not a little child anymore. I don't know if y'all noticed that, but I'm not a kid anymore. I saw somebody this weekend, and they from 20 years ago. And they speak, began speaking to me as if it was 20 years ago. It ain't 20 years ago. I'm not that sweet little boy that when he turned 21, they said, and she said, this lady said, well, now you're legal. I said, legal to do what? It was a Baptist church, so I asked, legal to do what? <laughs> well, she's like, well, now you can vote. I was like, I've been voting since I was 18. What else can I do now that I'm 21? Oh, I'm just mistaken. I'm like, <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> I'm sitting in a class, my last class, and this lady says, Did you used to live at this address in Port Natchez? And I'm going, Did you live in a two story? She said, Do you live in a two story house? That's when you feel like you have people creeping on you a little bit. <laughs> and she says, I live right down the street, two doors down across the street from you. And you and your brother and all of them. We used to climb trees together. And I'm like, I have no clue where this memory came from. Because I do not have a recollection. We're, you know, but the thing was, is she said, you know, she remembered. But she remembered seeing a view of a family that she didn't have. But the reality is, I said, well, I've kind of blocked all those memories out. Because those weren't good times for me. I remember the house. I remember where I lived. I knew I remember certain aspects, but it weren't good times for me. And she's she's like, I would never have known that. I don't remember, except one neighbor. I didn't even remember really her. But what holds you back from making these impacts on people? Everything's available to you. In fact, in Romans 38, 31 through 39, it says, What shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 
In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from Christ. And therefore nothing separates us from the call of God upon us all. But ourselves... Our willful disobedience. Yes, it could be someone who is overbearing and overpowering. And I would just look at them and say, listen, there's nothing here on earth or in heaven or below the earth that will keep me and separate me from God. And no pastor can do it. No deacon can do it. No session. We follow Him because He is the one who has called us out to be His people. We can be a crowd though, folks. The only people that keep us from being making the impact is us. We can be in a crowd of faithful followers and still be in willful disobedience to the commands of God. We can, we can be in the midst of a movement of godly Christian people and still be in willful disobedience to God. Do nothing. We can read and study all the Rush Denny, Bonson, North, Calvin, and Luther. All these big readers and all these big things. We can do it all and still be in willful disobedience in God. So when a young man answers me this week and he starts quoting Calvin to, to, and making his understanding of something, I really don't give a flip. It's historical. It's his understanding. But is there anything that he could be wrong about? Absolutely. You quote Luther to me. He could be wrong. Matthew Henry definitely has been wrong. You can quote all the resources in the world, and I'm going to say, listen, this is a unique understanding. It's apart from Scripture. That's why I won't have a conversation with a young man beyond that. That's not what Scripture tells us. I won't allow someone to read in and, and dictate to me as if he's going to lord over me from a distance what God's Word says. We can do all these things and still be in willful disobedience to God. Obedience to God is tied, tied back to the foundation of Christ Jesus and not any person, including ourselves. Remember what Paul said? Listen, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. But those two people, those two workers, they're nothing. What matters is that foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. Following the leader, believe it or not, that leader's not you. Mm-hmm. It's not me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When he left, he was about to leave, he was about to ascend into heaven, He told them, listen, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you. He says, what did he say? Well, I'll be with you to the very end of the age. He said, you're going to have whom? I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He never has left us and he's never forsaken us. He gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, to counsel us in the way we should go, to lead us 
into the way everlasting. All these aspects that he, he constantly, he draws us and he leads us, he guides us, he speaks truth to us. But it all goes back to who you're following and how you're following. Those two things determine your impact. Because there's days, there are days I really don't want to make much of an impact. Some days, I'd just rather sit in my truck. With your impact. <laughs> and just sit there. There are days. There are days I don't want to get out of bed. But I am not the leader. Someone asked me, what do you do? I love it because men always ask that question. And women are starting to ask that more and more today. That uh, your worth is in what you do. And I said, well, I'm a full-time husband and father. I'm a full-time pastor. I'm a full-time construction worker. I'm a full-time farmer. They're like, I can be full-time at everything. And it's like, well, you don't make a 10%. You don't give a 10% investment anywhere. You don't divide it 20% here, 20%. You're all in everywhere you're at. I said, yeah, it leads a tiring life. But my rest is not here and it's not in the moment. My rest will come one day. While I'm here, this is his call to impact every sphere of life he sets my feet. And that's my thing for y'all today. I can't make you do anything. I can't change anything you do. And I can't do anything except to speak the word that God gives. And that's to every congregation that, or every person or every Christian that I would stand in front of. You need to be obedient to Him and you follow Him and you do everything He has given for you to do. Don't let anyone or anything hold you back from that. Because listen, the older you get, your, your time is sometimes taken away from you. Yeah. You have time right now, kiddos, to learn everything you need to know about God's Word. You have time to begin to think about how you're going to train your kids up. I know it seems silly to be thinking about how am I going to how am I going to work and what is my attitude toward work. Every opportunity we get to speak to someone about Jesus, we do it. I mean, listen, if I can teach people how to honor God in butchering chickens, you can do it in everything you do. God gave me a gift of gab, I guess you'd say, and I'm not really shy in front of people. I am shy from certain crowds. But I'm going to tell you something. God uses it so I can bring His Word into places that I've never been before. He gave me abilities that I don't even know how I've got because no one taught me how to do carpentry. No one taught me how to do half of what I do. But daily I depend upon Him. And I see miracles on a daily basis because that which has no ability, He equips. He equips his, he's those he's called to do the work. And I see it. Don't think that you're less because you're, you're little or that you don't know much. No one stops you from learning. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've talked a lot about Eli this weekend. I tried not to embarrass him, but I said, don't ask him anything about farming because right now he really doesn't care about it. He doesn't. And he might not ever do anything with farming. It's not. It's true. And I told him, I said, if he doesn't want to farm, he doesn't want to do what I do, that's fine. It's hard. It's, most parents don't. They try to 
lead their kids every which direction they go. And I say, if he doesn't want to do that, it's fine. I'm going to tell you this much. But you will know how to work. And you will know how to itemize. And you know how to do all the tasks that you have. I want to make sure you're equipped to be a man. And when something happens, you'll be able to fix a leaky pipe. When your wife brings home some, you know, some god-awful mutt dog and you need to put him in behind a fence, you'll know how to build a fence to put him up. Whatever it takes. I say wife. I know it's the other way around in my household. I bring home every mutt. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a new dog? No. <laughs> no, no. Go check the trailer out there. <laughs> but folks, we make an impact for those kids. And that's, what, that's my thing for y'all today is you follow the leader. And he will never let you know. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.